everybody. Um, I hope this uh, live stream finds you well. And um, today, um, Sefa has uh, Jason Schilling, president of the Alberta Teachers Association. Um, during this time of social and physical distancing, Sefa believes it's, in, it's important to keep engaging with the public on issues of the day. And in order to do so, we are very thankful for the continuing support we receive from the University of Leslie, Shaw Spotlight, and the Lethbridge Herald. <laughs> As I mentioned, uh, today we have speaker Jason Schilling, who's the president of the Alberta Teachers Association. Jason Schilling was elected president of the Alberta Teachers Association in 2019. Following two years of service as vice president and more than eight years of service as district representative for Southwest. Prior to his election as the president of the ATA, Schilling was a teacher and drama teacher at Kate Andrews High School here in Colville, where he worked for 17 years. Mm -hmm. Thank you for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you here today. And thank you. Look forward to your talk. Well, thanks very much. And thank you to the Southern Alberta Council for Public Affairs for having me today to discuss leadership in Alberta during this COVID-19 pandemic crisis that we're all experiencing. As, as was said, I'm Jason Schilling. I'm president of the Alberta Teachers Association. I am from Lethbridge. I've been teaching in this area for over 20 years and recently at Kate Andrews for the last 17. As part of my presentation, I'm going to go through a bit of a timeline over the last several weeks as prior to the onset of the, the um, pandemic, however, it's important to know that the ATA has been advocating the government for full funding um, for education in Alberta. And we want to make sure that uh, every student has the successful tools that they need as they go to school. And as we know that funding for school is important. It's also important to know that the mandate of the Alberta Teachers Association, or one of the mandates, is to promote and advance public education in Alberta regardless of the political party that is in power. So the, the initials of the party could be the NDP, the UCP, it doesn't matter. Our job as advocates for public education in the Alberta Teachers Association remains the same. So I always like to get that out there so that uh, people know that uh, we are a nonpartisan organization and we care about our students, our teachers, and uh, the communities in which our schools are in, and that's what we advocate for. So before we get into um, the specifics of uh, leadership within the COVID-19, we want to go back a little bit to where we started to see the, the, ad, the start of cases in Alberta. And initially, classes were going to remain in, in place, and students were supposed to go to school. And this caused a lot of angst amongst teachers, students and their parents as well, about um, safety measures. And safety is always priority number one during the pandemic. Um, so we were advocating uh, to make sure that we had uh, the proper cleaning supplies in place, that we had the staff in place to make sure that we're maintaining clean schools and that our students and our staff were safe because you would go home at the end of the day to interact with other members of the community and we wanted to make sure that we're following the advice of the Chief Medical Officer of Alberta and flattening the curve. Classes then were cancelled on March 16th. And there was a lot of conversation and it's really easy to cancel classes um, like that. Uh, it's hard to start things back up again and we'll get into that a little bit later. But there was a brief talk about what this meant in terms of providing education to students in a remote learning environment. We like to not call this homeschooling, this is remote emergency teaching. And so I had a conversation with the minister that evening after the press conference that canceled classes. 
And we talked about what the expectations would be. And a lot of it, because it happened so quickly, was still really unknown. There were a lot of questions that needed to be to be handled there. And uh, so teachers talked a lot about, do I get to work from home? Do I work from school? How do we do this? How do we access um, students who don't have technology? What do we do about special needs students? What do we do about um, our students who are attending Hutterite colonies and uh, other places that don't allow a lot of technology? So being safety first, um, it was determined through various school districts and school districts are handling um, the cancellation of classes differently. And that was part of the, the mandate of the government to say that we have 61 school boards in the province. They will handle how they want to do this. And so working from home became sort of priority number one and making sure that we can connect with kids in a variety of ways. And so teachers who are very resilient and creative really got to work. But there's emotional impact of all of this. You have to think it was March 16th, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, classes are canceled indefinitely. Well, what does that mean? When will we see each other? And so it was a bit of a shock. It was a shock to the system. Um, students, young students didn't get a chance to say goodbye to their teachers. They didn't get a chance to say goodbye to their, their friends at school. Um, we have students who are in grade 12 who will probably not see a formal high school graduation like the rest of us have experienced as part of that high school life. And so there's a lot of concern about what does that mean? And as a teacher, one of the joys of my job is connecting with my students in class and working with them one-on-one -on -one. and I teach English and drama and, and those are two very sort of different classes but required a unique um, way to build relationships and all of that was just lost suddenly by uh, an announcement by the chief medical officer so it was a little bit of an emotional grieving almost for about a week and my colleagues the teachers that I talked to told me a lot about how they were feeling um, just sort of disconnected a little bit to know that their students were as well. Um, but teachers then started connecting with students online and this is where uh, support staff are really crucial within the schools as well because the educational assistants or the secretaries or the other members who are working in the school were also helping to connect with students and connect with families. Do you have everything you need? Um, what can we do to assist you? Um, and all of this was done under the idea that when I talked to the minister that night, we were told that funding would remain in place, that the school year would be funded fully and completely as we moved forward so that uh, the people who are working in the schools would have income security because that has been a really big question throughout the pandemic and that uh, we would see the supports in place for students so that we could get that out there um, to get the learning out there to our students. On March 20th, we received an announcement about the continuation of learning requirements because school started right away and because every district handled how school was supposed to start differently. On Monday, some teachers had uh, uh, lessons ready to go. Some schools took the week to figure out what we're going to do. And of course, throughout this whole time, there was a various uh, school districts had spring break. So the large urban centers were on spring break right away. And so they had some time to catch up. But the government did release on March 20th some of the requirements for continuing e education or continued learning requirements. So um, K to 6 were required to do five hours of instruction a week, um, mostly on literacy and numeracy. Uh, junior, junior high or middle school students were to do 10 hours on math, science, English, and social studies. And then high school was three hours per week per student per course. 
recognizing the fact that as teachers, we cannot recreate the classroom at home and that we had to make sure that we weren't putting a lot of pressure on parents and students at home to do a bunch of work that they might not be able to do and for teachers to try to get things recorded. Um, a lot of us are learning how to uh, do exactly what we're doing here today, right? To set up with a little microphone and a camera on a tripod and, and teaching lessons remotely that way. Um, it was uh, interesting as well to see that even though the government gave us guidelines in terms of literacy and numeracy as the focus of continuing education, schools and school boards also continue to um, put out art lessons, drama lessons, phys ed, CTS, which is career and technology studies. I know a teacher who is um, delivering kits to students so that they can still continue with uh, their shop classes. And like I said, teachers are creative and resilient and will go that extra mile, which they have been doing right now. Um, what happened with this is the part that was sort of a missing element out of there was assessment and grades. And uh, we've been talking about what does that actually mean and what does that look like? Because you are delivering education remotely um, with certain time frames. It's hard to figure out that. And that's still one of those remaining questions about assessment and, and what are we doing. And again, each board has their own uh, idea. I know that Lethbridge Public just uh, announced this last week what their assessment practices would be and what the report cards would look like. And they've posted that online and the teachers know um, what that information is as well. Then the big one came on March 28th. So if you go back on the timeline, you recall on the 16th, we were told that funding would be in place for the remainder of the school year. However, on March 28th, we had a teleconference with the minister. And about an hour later, after that teleconference, a tweet was sent out that announced that they were going to cut funding to the tune of $128 million for the remainder of the school year to divert that money to efforts for uh, COVID-19 and would in turn lay off substitute teachers by the end of March. And this was a about three days notice and the rest non-essential school support staff as it was deemed by the minister by the end of April. Overall, we're talking 26,000 people received notification that they would be laid off by a tweet at one o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday. Um, this caused a lot of concern and worry amongst the education system. Teachers as well worried about um, the educational assistants. I mean, I've worked with an educational assistant every year of my time at Kate Andrews, and they're my colleague and my coworker and my friend, and so we're worried about the impact that they had, the layoff would have on their lives first and foremost. Um, and then also looking at the impact of what that would be for um, students. Educational assistants, um, at schools, we're working with teachers on helping to deliver lessons. Uh, so the teacher might record a lesson, deliver it. EAs were contacting uh, students um, by phone, usually sometimes through video conference, and said, okay, what about the lesson do we need to look at? How do we modify it? How do we make sure that you are successful in achieving this uh, this lesson in, in school right now? Also looking at support staff in terms of Janet staff right so to make sure that schools are clean they did the schools have been doing a very deep cleaning over the last several weeks just to make sure that uh, schools are a safe environment as they should be and uh, secretaries and bus drivers and I know that uh, every district has different contractor contracts with their bus drivers and uh, 
I know that um, some were laid off right away, but some rural districts were actually using, uh, sort of in the, the northern eastern part of Alberta, were using some of their bus drivers to deliver paper packages to students on their bus routes who didn't have access to technology. Or, as we know, living in rural parts of Alberta, um, technology is not always, uh, the internet's not always as fast. And we also know that we have um, students who are at home with uh, parents that might have two or three students at home that are all clamoring to use the same computer. And so EAs were really essential in helping uh, teachers um, get the lessons out and to make sure that the continuity of education was, uh, was going forward. Um, the government also indicated on, on March 28th that boards would be the ones to determine which staff were essential and non-essential. And this raised a lot of questions about special needs students who work with EAs one-on-one. -on -one. And what would that mean for students who are who have special needs? Um, I remember talking to a teacher who had a student who was autistic, and a lot of autistic students sometimes are really um, reliant on routine to help them. And uh, this whole pandemic and canceling of classes is definitely hard on students like that. And so the EA's regular contact with the student who had autism really was a comfort for them and allowed them to not. Um, to not get too anxious and those are really key relationships that we have in education and we need to make sure that that was recognized and that that was there. Um, the, the layoff of, of substitute teachers was really um, quite devastating for a lot of teachers as well because the question then remained, well, what if I get sick? What happens to my class? What happens to my students? Do we just stop or do other teachers who are right now working harder than they've ever worked in their careers, they tell me, are they supposed to cover off my class or, or what happens with that? And I know that some teachers um, are expecting a baby and going on mat leave or parental leave and the, who covers their classes if that mat leave happens in April or May or June. And so to have uh, a core of, of professionals and substitute teachers laid off without the question of whether or not we would be able to um, access their services was really a big question for teachers. And uh, we never really, I, I feel, we never really got the answer to, to what that the, the question was. Um, I know that uh, sometimes teachers are, are working with one another and uh, helping to uh, share the load if someone should happen to be sick. But uh, we would, as an association, want substitute teachers to be involved in um, the education system that way. So part of the, the conversation I've been having to teachers then is, how are you coping with this emergent uh, remote teaching? And uh, it's been interesting. And it's sort of like all things, um, everybody adjusts to things differently. And um, isolation is, is hard, and uh, it's hard for uh, if you're at home uh, trying to work from home, but also um, teaching from home with students from home who are all sort of in one space. And uh, uh, teachers are working really hard to connect with kids on different platforms. And I know that uh, some teachers use Google Hangout. Zoom is a big one. Um, I love hearing stories from teachers, and I've talked to quite a few teachers down in the Leftbridge area who get to see um, a lot of students' pets, right? You see a lot of cats, you see a lot of dogs, you see birds. Um, we've talked to some teachers who are out in uh, sort of the Tabor area. Um, they get the, the computer goes outside with them and they get to see cows and uh, pigs and other farmyard animals. And so it's really great for teachers to connect with kids that way and to sort of see 
their lives and um, their their homes, I guess, and to make sure that we're maintaining that relationship. We hear a lot right now about teachers missing their students and students missing their teachers. I've talked to um, some teachers who are also parents and said that, you know, their, their kids sometimes just have meltdowns some days and they're sad. And when you really get to the, the core of why students are feeling that way, they're missing school, they're missing their teacher, they miss the classroom, they miss their stu- their, their friends at school. And so um, that's part of that idea that we need to, to treat each other with some grace and forgiveness right now and, and take the pressure off trying to recreate um, school at home because it's just not viable right now. We're all doing our best to get through the days. Um, family stress is also a big factor as well. We know some students go home um, don't always have the most supportive home environment and uh, school is their safe place and so we've been watching um, carefully to look for signals of distress with those students as well. It's hard though to do that as a teacher through a camera or if you can't connect with a student or if you have students who have gone dark it's hard to uh, um, see what's going on with them and so that's where EAs and other support staff in school were really important was helping us as teachers connect with the students in a variety of ways because sometimes technology doesn't work maybe it's a phone call um, maybe it's um, just driving by and dropping off a package at, at home so that uh, um, the student knows that their their teachers are out there and they're they're still working for them um, it's been various levels of success with engaging with uh, teachers or sorry various levels of success engaging with students i know that some teachers are having full um, classes attend and some have not and it's been difficult because some students are working and for a variety of means they're just they're just hard um, getting in there and, 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 and talking with their teachers um, but again the creativity and resiliency that we see of teachers has really been uh, quite extraordinary over the last uh, little last few weeks I mean I've always had a lot of strong faith in my my colleagues and their skills teaching, but they've really shown that the skills that they have as professionals um, really translate over to this emergency remote teaching. And um, it's really important in that. I think also teachers have recognized as well, and probably parents that I've talked to as well, recognize that the education that we're delivering through a remote emergency um, teaching system like this is needs to go beyond literacy and numeracy, uh, especially when you get to the younger grades. And so we know that uh, seen uh, teachers put out um, saw this great assignment. I think I saw it on Twitter where the, the assignment was sent to a, a child that said, build a fort in your house and read a book in it. And so, you know, that's literacy, but it's done in a bit of a, a unique way. I know that there's a lot of baking going on and I see pictures of sourdough breads everywhere and cakes and that uh, parents are doing things that are a bit unique beyond the, the literacy and numeracy and teachers are also trying to make sure that they give art lessons and music lessons and drama lessons and phys ed as well. As the weather's getting better, it's easier to get outside and, and move around. Um, but as we talk to kids, as I said earlier, you know, sometimes kids get bored and that's okay. Um, being bored is, is all right once in a while. And we know that kids are, are lonely for school and that they're missing out of, of friends and things like that. And so that component of mental health is really a big concern of the Alberta Teachers Association and teachers out there as well. The mental health of our students is really key and their emotional health as well. And so we're part of the remote teaching, even just uh, if you don't get through the lesson that day, um, teachers have told me, is, you know, is just to talk 
you know, kids just want to talk to one another or a teacher might start a Zoom class a little bit earlier, about five or, or 10 minutes earlier and the kids log in early just so that they can talk to one another and actually see one another on camera because they don't always have the ability to, to see one another and kids are quite social. Education is all about relationships and building relationships and uh, to have this COVID pandemic sort of isolating everybody um, through this uh, remote teaching is it's hard to build those relationships and so kids when they're lonely um, part of this connecting with their classroom has been really essential for them um, we've also been talking as I talked a little bit about assessment earlier and uh, one of the things I, I mentioned to the minister I've mentioned this a couple times to her is um, that I think that right now the pandemic and the COVID-19 uh, um, the remote teaching thing has really shown that we have some holes in our education system that we need to address when we come back. We can't just go back to the way that things were. And this is addressing things like uh, kids who don't have access to technology. And I know the government is working on securing more devices for kids um, so that they can uh, um, access technology. But also kids who um, don't necessarily do well learning this way. Um, some will thrive at it. Some will, will struggle at it. Um, we also need to talk about food security for students. And I know that uh, the government has increased funding for um, nutrition programs that were at school because it was a big talk about what do we do about our nutrition funding. And so um, that was a really key part where EAs and other support staff at school were really important because they were also putting together nutrition packages that were also being delivered out. Um, I know that uh, a lot of... Uh, NGOs locally have been working, food banks have been working to get um, packages out to uh, families so that they have food because students who are coming to school hungry Monday through Friday and accessing school nutrition programs are still hungry and they're hungry on the weekends as well. And so we need to make sure that we cover that off as well. There's also, um, you know, we have students who don't, who have tough home environments and we need to make sure that they're supported as well and uh, that, that we are able to access that. And I know that teachers have been asked to um, look for abuse that might be occurring at home. It's something that we would do regularly at school. Um, if we see signs of that, um, which is easy to do at school when you're there, but this is where EAs and uh, other support staff are really key to helping teachers with that by connecting. And so when we heard the announcement on March 28th about this layoff, it was really um, it was really hard and concerning because we were in a tough situation right now with trying to adjust to remote emergency online teaching and then to have the supports in the school removed without consultation was really um, quite interesting. And I know that uh, through uh, press conferences and through the legislature that they said that boards had asked for this um, when we pressed to see which school boards were asking for layoffs, um, they were unable to produce any names. They said that was private. I also know that um, a lot of school boards in the area, and I know in, through Lethbridge and some other areas, were able to keep some of their EAs on, on staff, and that's really good because it helps with that support. Because like I said, we're all kind of working in uh, this new world, and um, all the support that we can have for our students is really, really important. And now the big question that's coming up is because we're seeing it pop up in Quebec and BC and other areas, if you look down into the States, is what will returning to school look like? 
And uh, these are very, very early days conversations. And the, the key um, component of that would be the chief medical officer of Alberta. Um, she made the determination to cancel classes um, when she felt the risk of community spread was going to be um, have a larger impact on society. She will make that call about whether or not schools um, will open up again. Um, and of course, the ATA is always going to think and say that the safety of our students, our teachers, our school communities, and the broader community is number one. And to me, that's the starting point of where we start this conversation about schools. Um, we know we have large class sizes. When we talk about social distancing, we talk about this idea of how do you move people about the school. There's a lot of questions that need to be answered. And uh, we also, when we come back from um, the, this remote emergency teaching, need to have conversations about the inequities that some of our students experience during um, this uh, isolation phase. And I think it's important as we have this conversation that we include all, all facets of the education stakeholders because how I see things as, as president of the ATA, parents will see something different. And it's important that we have a lot of eyes on this topic of returning to school. But again, very early days, nothing has been determined. There's been no indication whatsoever that schools would be returning at any point. The chief medical officer said classes are canceled indefinitely and that is all that we have to work from. Um, but I do know one thing, and that is that we've got one shot at getting it right, and we need to make sure that we do that. And uh, I just want to take some time to uh, thank you for having me here today. It's, uh, it's been an interesting ride for uh, my colleagues over the last couple of weeks. Um, one of the things that teachers have, have contacted me about and said that they're really excited about this opportunity, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to try to really flex those teaching skills that they have and they were looking forward to the challenge and it, that's what it is. It has been a challenge for, uh, for teachers and for um, educational assistants and other support staff and um, having so many laid off. I mean, it was one of the, the largest single layoffs of um, an education or an employment force in Canadian history um, that was very concerning, but teachers are rising to the occasion, and I just want to take this opportunity because this is also Education Week to uh, thank my colleagues, um, the teachers out there, and uh, the EAs, and everybody else who's working to support kids right now. Um, thank you very much, and I hope that you stay safe, um, wash your hands as often as you can, um, practice good physical distancing, and we're, we'll get through this, but we'll get through it together. And so I thank you for your time this morning. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Yes. Um, my apologies for earlier. I had my mic turned off when I did. Oh, did you? Oh, okay. <laughs> so nobody knows who I am. <laughs> so um, we have Jason Schilling, president of the Alberta Teachers Association, and my apologies again for having my mic off during the uh, introductory. Um, we have some questions already in the Yeah, room, yeah, you so bet. If you're ready to. I will read them out one by one because okay. they seem to be all that related. Um, could the class, could these classes be pass-fail grades? Yeah, and when you look at the the assessment, and this is the conversation that we've been having with government and school boards, is because part of the it is this 
the question of equity also comes in here as well. If students can't do get access to the information, they can't get access to the assignments, how do you grade them? How do you grade um, things that come in? And so that's part of the conversation is looking at um, what should the mark be at what point pass fail um, makes a lot of sense for elementary schools um, part of the problem when you get into this it's really complex when you get into high school is high school marks are used a lot to get into post-secondary and so you have to to look at that factor as well um, you also have to look at the factor of you know right now part of the, the continuing learning uh, announcement that came out from the government was to cover key elements of the curriculum and so that's what teachers are doing right now and trying to make sure that they hit those key elements of the curriculum to make sure the students are ready for the next step but you also have to recognize that not everybody is there so pass fail is one option that uh, schools can look at and they'll make those determinations here pretty quick I hope because teachers are really asking a lot of questions about assessment right now great thank you um, then uh, Beth Mandel's second question is, how is Palliser delivering curriculum to students with special needs with educational, with educational assistance reduced or laid off? Well, they'll have to work, um, talking to some of my colleagues at, at Kate Andrews that I was talking to, that some of the educational assistants who work with special needs students one-on-one -on -one um, are still on staff and they're still connecting with those students. It's more difficult and a lot of times it's just connecting with kids uh, remotely as much as you can, um, trying to give them um, support and some lessons and give some continuity into the work that they're doing. Uh, this is also really key, um, working with the relationship with the parents and to make sure that uh, parents are also feeling supported in the work that they're doing. Okay, thank you. And Beth's last question here. How are students on the Hutterite colonies being taught right now? I've talked to some colleagues, and this is a really interesting one because Hutterite colonies don't have access to technology. And so this is where uh, teachers are making um, creative packages that they will give to students and uh, deliver them out to um, some of the colonies. I've talked to a teacher who um, is working at a, another building and is doing a lot of her uh, teaching by phone. And so they do a lot of phone calls but they're still connecting with those students. Right. Um, then we have uh, a question by Laurie Schultz. Has the government given any assurances if or when funding will be restored and laid off staff rehired? Um, from my understanding, the last time I talked to the minister about um, this, and I've, I've actually had a fair amount of, of conversations with the minister over the last five to six weeks, almost weekly we, we have conversations. She did indicate that funding would be restored fully um, once classes resumed, or I think she actually said in July. So once we get into um, the latter part of the school year, funding would be restored, or if classes were to resume before that, and then staff who were laid off would be rehired. Okay, thank you. Um, a question by Graham Smith. What do you think of virtual classrooms, please? Of virtual classrooms? I think, uh, I mean, we've always had uh, some form of distance learning um, uh, and learning where students are, are not going to traditional classrooms. And uh, this remote learning now that we're doing is for an emergency basis. And like I said, for some students, it works really well for them. 
um, for a lot of students, it uh, it doesn't work. This doesn't work for them. It, the school is about uh, relationships, about being with your friends. I, I think that um, as a teacher, I would prefer to be in my classroom with my students, working with them one-on-one, -on -one, um, working with them in groups, because that's part of that element of when you work with a student, you really get to know who they are and what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are. And when you spend time with them in that capacity of the classroom, you can really then push them in terms of their education. Um, virtual teaching like this um, is great when everybody has everything that works and that we have a good Wi-Fi connection and that it doesn't freeze all of a sudden, right? And so um, it's, it, it serves some people, but really I, most of the teachers I talk to would prefer to be at school with their classes because um, they miss them. Right. Um, and uh, Laurie Schultz have a, another question. For students who, have a, who had an unsigned EA, how is this being managed? Well, they'll have to look at uh, ways the schools I know have, um, have been able to keep some of their EAs. Uh, the ones that uh, have been laid off, uh, that will fall on to um, teachers to do that work and to pick up that, uh, that part of the component of the classroom that is missing. That's why I said teachers right now are working harder than, than they ever have before because they're trying to connect with all of those kids. Um, I know that some of my colleagues are working in uh, pods or groups, so they're working together and so they're helping to, to support one another as well in that work. Okay. And then Claude Peterson, it is probably difficult for you to comment on this, but it seems like the UCP government has a fair amount of disdain for basic education, healthcare, and post-secondary and science in general. <laughs> well, that's more of a comment, not really a question. Yeah. Um, that uh, goes back actually to what I said at the beginning. We have been advocating um, with this government for public education to make sure that we have full, adequate funding. Um, we started the school year uh, in 2019, and it just, it, I can't believe it's only been, <laughs> this is still the same school year. We started uh, the school year in 2019 without a budget. And when the budget came down in October, there were cuts to the budget. And uh, the budget document itself didn't have the column of the previous years, and so we foiked it as an association and found there was a $136 million cut to school boards across um, the province. Budget 2020 came down in February before the pandemic um, with a new funding formula for students. And some districts are going to win and some districts are going to lose on this. A lot of rural districts will be supported with this rolling average um, if they have a declining enrollment, but larger schools in the urban areas and the cities um, are, are will be losing money. And so we were advocating because there's still about a $36 million cut in that budget compounded with the $136 million cut before. And so now to have the pandemic come um, makes us wonder what we will be looking at when we come to uh, the fall with the budget that was passed during um, the pandemic as well. It's part of our work is to make sure we advocate with um, um, the government and you know, as much as I, I disagree with the policies that they might be passing, we still have to work with them. As I said at the beginning, we're nonpartisan. We work with the government that we have to try to advocate for our students. And uh, it's been challenging. Um, I know there's a couple of questions in the queue, but I'm going to ask one because I'm, sure. I have it in my Because you have a microphone. <laughs> I, uh, that's it. Right, yeah. And it works now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, 
how has COVID-19 and all these, all this mess that we're currently in, or the pandemic that we're currently in, how has how has that affected the building of new schools? They're still moving on construction of new schools, and actually, um, the government made an announcement a couple of weeks ago that they would still proceed with working on new schools, and they've been using um, this time. I know when people have sort of been out of the building, or there's not a lot of people in the building to do. Um, some modernization of some schools. So there it is still moving forward with the construction of new schools. Of course, our conversation with the government then will be we have to make sure that those schools are um, fully and adequately funded. So they make sure that, you know, they build new schools, but they don't always provide the district money for desks or books or staff. We're worried that we're going to see cuts to teaching staff in the fall. And so you can build all the schools you want, but you have to make sure that you have people in there to, to work in those, those right. buildings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mark Goodall, why were teachers initially required to physically report to school? Did that not potentially expose them to the virus? Um, that was a decision that when that came down on the 16th and we had conversation with that, that was a decision the government would said that school boards would make. And so individual school boards made those decisions and had teachers report to work. Um, of course, having this announcement come on March 16th at 5 o'clock on a Sunday, childcare was a huge factor for everybody. Um, parents who were still working, who send their kids to school, all of a sudden they had their kids at home. And teachers who have kids, um, who normally send them to school, have their kids at home. And so that was a big uh, factor there. Um, we quickly worked with government and senior officials to make sure that um, a work-from-home and work-from-school uh, component was was thought of very quickly um, because you're absolutely right um, we've been told by chief medical officer of alberta and um, of canada as well dr tam to stay home as much as you can and so teachers are really saying if i have everything i can do this at home i should be able to work from home um, and we were able to uh, to negotiate and navigate through that water actually quite quickly and so i was happy about that because it relieved a lot of pressure for for teachers as well, because they some of them have pa parents who are, are living at home with them, who are elderly that are immune compromised, and so they're trying to mitigate their own risk and exposure, and uh, worried about um, that as well. I think that's a conversation that's going on in Quebec right now with them reopening. Right? Yeah, yeah, and it's a conversation that's still you know. Um, sometimes schools will have a PD day and require people to come in and um, you also have to remember the, the number of the sizes of groups. It, when classes were cancelled, you could still have groups of 50. Now it's 15. And so, you know, when we bring people into schools, we have to make sure that they're apart and physical distancing and stuff like that. And um, it was... You know, I often I often joke with my colleagues my how to manage a pandemic manual. I can't find it in the office, <laughs> and so I know that uh, hindsight will always be much better on this. And uh, making sure that um, with any kind of remote emergency that you see, like the think of the wildfires in Fort McMurray or the floods in Calgary and the flood again in Fort McMurray right now, having these measures that we've sort of created now through the pandemic are something that we can fall back on again. So if there's an emergency, this is how we can do remote learning from home and that, that hopefully will benefit us moving forward. Thank you. Uh, Laurie Schultz. Jason, you have mentioned not all students have access to technology. Yeah. For those who do not, how are those lessons being administered? 
Well, I'll, this is where the paper packages are being created. So I know that teachers are going into schools um, periodically. When, you know, I have a buddy who works here in uh, the city, and he'll go to school um, once or twice a week to make paper packages that are, are sent out to kids. I know that teachers are delivering them. Some schools have set up systems where kids can come in and pick up the package and then deliver the package back with completed work. Um, I know that uh, some EAs and teachers, um, as the ones who are still employed, um, are delivering packages to houses in uh, smaller communities. And so that's the way that they've been trying to do it. It's, it's not perfect. Um, none of this is. And uh, like I said, we're all just sort of doing the best that we can with, with what we have right now. And um, we also have a group of students that have sort of gone dark. They've not connected with their teachers. And uh, it could be that they're working or they're supporting the family or they're taking care of siblings at home. Um, that is worrisome for a lot of teachers because as a teacher, you want to reach all your students. And when you have a chunk of kids that you can't connect with, um, you worry about them. Um, I've lost so much sleep over, over students in my career. You worry about them, and so you want to make sure that we're connecting with them. So I know that teachers are, this is part of that creative resiliency part, that they're making these paper packages to make sure that uh, kids have access to it. Okay. Um, Bev Mundell, as president of the Alberta ATA, do you feel that this government's massive layoffs of teachers, et cetera, is part of this government's plan to destroy public education and make unions ineffective? <laughs> That's a great question, Bev. And I know Bev, so I know okay. where I, yeah, I've, I've met Bev several times, so I know where to come in. We're, when this pandemic started, we've actually were really quite mindful of the fact that we don't want this remote emergency teaching um, way to lead to more privatization within education because that would, that is not what the Alberta Teachers Association is for. Um, my colleagues have, as I said earlier, have expressed a lot of um, desire to be back in class with their kids. And so when part of our job is to promote an, an advanced public education, and we will stand against any kind of policy that we see would, would um, erode public education in Alberta. And so that is something that I believe in, and I know a lot of my colleagues believe in, and that we will fight for it. Thank you. And then Knut Peterson, have other jurisdictions around the province found a way to keep some EAs on the payroll? I think you mentioned this already. Yeah, Leftbridge has kept some EAs on the payroll. I know around in the southern Alberta area, it's various degrees. Some have, have laid off all of them and some have kept um, ones. And this was part of the instruction by government when this announcement came on the 28th was um, boards could determine who were essential and non-essential employees. And so some EAs who were working one-on-one -on -one with some high-need special students were kept in employment. Um, when you go to Calgary, which is much larger, of course, they were able to keep about 900 of their employees, but laid off 1,900. Edmonton Public and Edmonton Catholic also were able to keep some of their EAs and their staff that they determined to be essential, but also laid off um, several hundred. And I actually just read a, a news release today where Edmonton Catholic had just laid off 67 more uh, custodians um, within the system. And uh, so some, there's a various degree out there of boards. A lot of it has to do with how much um, money boards have. And they've already taken a hit with budget 2019 because there was that $136 million cut. And boards use the reserves to offset that. 
Um, a lot of boards don't have that money now, and so they were getting creative with uh, um, their budgets right now in order to keep their EAs to provide support to teachers because teachers are trying to support kids. Mm -hmm. right? No kidding. Um, here's Bev. <laughs> Hi, Bev. <laughs> How do you advocate with a government which does not respect unions? Well, and that's really um, the, the bane of my existence for the last nine months. Um, we still uh, we still try to meet with government um, as much as we can. We engage our members. Um, we also, you know, as I meet with the minister, have been encouraging a lot of teachers. And I would encourage anybody, actually, not just teachers, but anybody who has a concern about public education to contact their MLAs. Um, you know, we can write a letter to the minister, but you also need to go and talk to your, your own MLA in your area. And mine is Shannon Phillips. Um, but I would also talk to Nathan uh, Newdorf as well and say, um, these are my concerns and I want you to take my concerns forward. Uh, I think that uh, we need to put pressure on government to do the right thing and to make the right choices. And if um, they have uh, an issue with, with the, the union, then that's fine. I always like to tell them that we're not a full union. We're an association that has union functions. Um, but they don't always buy that one. So, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's, or we still have to work with the government. And so as much as sometimes as I disagree with some of the announcements that they make, we still go and talk with them because, um, I think we would be doing a disservice to uh, public education if we, we weren't doing that as difficult as it is sometimes. Okay. Uh, Laurie Schultz, what funding cuts are anticipated in September or in the 2020? 2021 school year? Well, the budget that uh, was passed um, just recently in February had some cuts. It's also a realignment of grants. So they took about 36 grants down to, I can't remember the actual number, but I think it's 16. Um, so we've seen some adjustment to those grants. Um, there is a, a slight cut to the base funding grant. Um, and we've also been saying that uh, the key cut that we're finding is really um, growth within the system. We're seeing 15,000 new students into schools every year that are not being accounted for in funding. The new funding formula now looks at the current year, the last year, and project it forward. So you would potentially get full funding, but it's coming two years down the road. Kids need funding when they walk into the school day one not two years down the road. And so we've been uh, talking to them about this uh, rolling um, average funding formula that they have and also looking at other grants to make sure that there's no cuts. Um, there was an adjustment to the program unit funding. This is, we call it puff funding. These are for very little kids, um, like four, you know, three, four, five-year-olds who have um, disabilities and learning disabilities to make sure that they are getting the support that they need in order to be ready for school. Um, they adjusted that funding, and we have been very vocal about that. In fact, I actually said to the minister the other day, I think that you should increase PUF funding because of the, pa the pandemic um, to make sure that those students who are most vulnerable get the most support they need so when they come to school they will be successful and that we maintain that funding for them. Okay. Um, Bev Mundell, you mentioned the mental health issues of both students and teachers mm -hmm. grieving loss of Skilia community? Our school community. Yeah, it's S-C-I-L-L-A. 
I, I'm not sure. That might be a typo. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure either. Um, our school councils. <laughs> I'm going to read the sentence just as it's typed. Okay. So I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, because I don't understand the question. Our school councils. It's still working, and how do they get in touch with those needing help? I, I'm. She's. I'm wondering if she's asking about uh, parent school councils. I know. Um, Alison Pike is the president of the Alberta School Councils Association. She's from Lethbridge, um, and I have conversations with her as well. They also talk with government about this. Um, it's been a matter of, of connecting with um, your school council uh, liaison who's at the school um, and talking about that to see what supports that they can provide as well. Because I know that mental health um, for students and for teachers will be a really big component once school reopens and that we need to have already started this conversation with government as well to make sure that we have the funding in place to provide the supports and services for that because there's lessons that we can learn from Slave Lake or Fort McMurray about when they had to evacuate very different circumstances but they had to evacuate quickly and were out of school for several months and then they had to go back there's lessons there that we can learn about going back and supporting um, um, teachers and students in that because for some people, um, the trauma of what has happened here will just will just sort of roll off their back. It won't bother them. But for other people, it won't bother them right away. For other people, it it's the onset is later on, and you could see um, once school comes back uh, an increase of sick leave by teachers or absenteeism from students who. Um, are struggling to cope and we need to make sure that we don't have a stigma around that and because uh, none of us have control <laughs> in this moment right and uh, so we need to make sure that we are, are um, reaching out and supporting everybody as much as we can and I do know the government has added some more money um, to mental supports within the province and I'd always say um, in a lot of my messages if you're struggling reach out and, and get help um, because you don't have to we're not, we don't have to do this alone. Do teachers have access to that? We do through our, our benefit providers. And uh, so teachers can access uh, supports through their benefit providers and reminding them of the numbers and just to check with the, um, all the teachers down in the south here of Alberta School Employee Benefit Plans, as do most of the EAs, and um, so that they have access to that as well. And I know that... You know, as EAs have been laid off, a lot of the districts have been carrying forward their benefits until the end of summer, and hopefully they'll be able to rehire them back in the fall, and so they won't see an interruption to that. Some have, some haven't, and again, that's hit or miss across the province. Okay. Um, Mark Goodall, do you think that recalling students with social distancing, as suggested by some, would work? Oh, boy. I mean, this is a big question, and... Uh, I, part of the, the issue that I have with this, which was the concern that teachers had when classes were not going to be canceled and people were going back to work, was um, we have large class sizes in this province. We have classes that uh, are in the 30s, in the 40s, that are really large but are in spaces that are built for um, 20, 25. I mean, you go out to some of the rural areas in here and we have schools that are 50, 60 years old. They were built for um, a certain amount of class size. And so to try to get kids to social distance 
is a part of it that goes against their nature. Right? How do you get uh, seven-year-olds to stay six feet apart from each other at all times? And I, you know, I had a teacher send me a text one day going, you know, my students are taking selfies together. And, you know, they're kids. And so we have to really have a really good conversation about what does this look like and how do we um, create a space that's safe for everybody, the students, the teacher, EAs, support staff. And again, all these kids and all these staff go home to their families and we have to make sure that that is in place. So um, how, do you, how do you tell a bunch of seven-year-olds to stay apart? I mean, it's a lot of it's a lot of sort of reprogram reprogramming ourselves a little bit to be mindful of that as well. Okay, it won't be easy, that's for sure. No. <laughs> um, Cliff Peterson, are you hoping some parents will have a whole new and better attitude towards teachers once things re return to the new normal? Um, I think parents are getting a, a really good sense of what um, teaching could be like. I always have felt extremely supported by, by parents and I've had a good relationship myself with parents through the course of my career. Um, and I know that uh, this will strengthen the bonds. It's hard, I think, too, right now, and I've been saying this to um, teachers and parents and other kind of video messaging and, and other media that emailing back and forth and stuff like that, um, translation can get lost and it's always hard to determine tone. So I always say just pick up the phone and, and try to talk as much. Um, I find then that myself in my own work that uh, I just get tired of emails. I just phone the people I need to talk to and uh, have that conversation and it's just nice to connect that way. But I think there's a lot of parents out there who are appreciating um, trying to work from home and teaching and working with their students and their kids and all of that stuff. And so, yeah. yeah. And then Knut Peterson has a follow-up question. Well, it's um, another question. Can you please comment on the ATA pension fund being diverted into the provincial AMCO fund and the chance that you'll be building pipelines? Well, I mean, this is a, a whole different duck altogether. So um, just by quick background information, because I'm watching the time here as well, um, Budget 2019 um, had an, a, a paragraph in there that transferred the asset management from Alberta Teachers Retirement Fund over to AIMCO. Um, we weren't consulted in that, and we have a relationship as the ATA and government with the Alberta Teachers Retirement Fund for over 80 years. We have teachers on the board. Um, teachers have a say in terms of investment and can also hold the board accountable. Um, and that will be lost um, through the change of this legislation. And our pension exists in legislation, so the government can make these changes. The fact that they did it without consultation is really um, has been a really sore point for a lot of teachers, uh, active and retired. I hear from a lot of retired teachers right now who are quite upset over this. Um, we, this is part of, goes back to something I said earlier, we're really putting a lot of pressure on MLAs to reverse this or to repeal Bill 22. It was Bill 22 that this was embedded in. Um, we sent 34,000 emails um, by 22,000 people in this province who also went and met with their MLAs and called them and uh, met with them again and wrote them personal letters. And uh, they still went ahead with this transfer. And I always liked, you know, people said, well, that, they didn't listen to us. They heard us. They just didn't care. 
I always say it's not a question of our advocacy of the work that we did or teachers did about this issue. It was the ethics of them still passing this. If you went to your MLA and thousands of, tens of thousands of teachers did this, went to their MLAs and said, do not do this. We do not support it. But they still did it. There's a broader question about representation there, there with that MLA and those constituents. Um, how AIMCO um, invests the money, what happens right now is ATRF, the Alberta Teachers Retirement Fund, is negotiating with AIMCO about the transfer of the money. And we're, a lot of politicians said a lot of promises during this time that we wrote them all down. And so <laughs> we've been saying to them as we negotiate this, this is what you promised, now you have to make that happen. And so it's, it's tricky, it's complicated. Um, the news that came out this last week with AIMCO losing $4 billion, um, teachers' money has not been transferred over yet. It hasn't gone yet. It hasn't affected um, us. Again, caused a lot of concern amongst teachers who are retired and active. And so we've, we have a, a website. It's called handsoffmypension.ca that you can use to uh, contact MLAs and to put that pressure on. We need the MLAs to put pressure on um Mr. Kenny to change his mind. Okay. Um, a question from Graham Smith. Mm -hmm. Do you have any models or plans in case social distancing reversals now affect the population even worse? Um, I don't have that kind of modeling. Um, we wouldn't do that kind of work as the association. We would follow the lead of the Chief Medical Officer of Alberta and their modeling. Um, again, I mean, I will always go back to the question of safety, right? We'd have to make sure that um, things are done in a safe manner. I know it was just, I think it was yesterday, yeah. I have a, a, a bi-weekly meeting with the presidents of all the provincial teaching organizations in Canada. So it's um, done through Canadian Teachers Federation. And they're all talking about this idea of what this happens um, it could be contextual, it could be geographical, it could, there could be like an outbreak in one area, schools close down in that area once things have opened. Does it, it, that's sort of the thing that I know that uh, I've heard uh, the chief medical officer talk about and others have talked about that geographically across Canada. Okay. Corinne uh, Klassen, how would you respond to students' families, or students slash families, who have indicated that online learning isn't working for them and have therefore decided to opt out of the remainder of the year? I mean, that's a choice that, uh, that parents have to look at with their families and uh, if, when it's working and stuff like that. I would still encourage parents, because um, I know it's difficult and it's, it's hard and this isn't easy for, for anybody, and to just contact um, the teacher directly and say, you know, talk about why it isn't working and see if there's ways around it, because I know that... Um, uh, teachers will say, okay, well, here's the lesson for this week. Don't push it. You know, if it's not working for you today, find something else to do. Um, but just know that this is sort of what we're covering this week. And so I would always encourage the parents to go back to, uh, to the teacher and just talk about what is not working and see if there, you can find a solution that way. Okay. Um, we have Laurie Schultz. Jason, I commend you and all teachers and staff to teach our students in what is akin to a virtual one-room classroom, class, uh, a one-room schoolhouse. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you, Laurie. I will, uh, I'll relay that thanks to my colleagues. So. And Bev Mundell, thank you so much for a very informative talk.
Well, thanks, Bev, for all your questions. I hope you're doing well. <laughs> Excellent. With that, um, um, I think we'll wrap up for today. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining us online. And thank you very much, Jason, for oh. being here today with us. And um, very informative question. Yeah. Oh, a um, couple more. Oh, OK. Uh, Mr. DJ, thank you for advocating for teachers across the province and graham smith teachers are the best thank you i agree teachers are the best <laughs> thanks everybody be safe please okay and thank with you. that we'll wrap up <laughs>